namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa buddham saranam gacchami Dhammam saranam gacchami Sangam saranam gacchami Dutiyampi buddham saranam gacchami Dutiyampi dhammam saranam gacchami Dutiyampi sangam saranam gacchami Tatiyampi buddham saranam gacchami Tatiyampi dhammam saranam gacchami Tatiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. One of the reasons why I like to chant, uh, it helps me connect with uh, the lineage and the tradition of, of, of beings, of monks, nuns, and lay people, lay men and lay women, who've, uh, who've uh, practiced in this tradition for thousands of years. You know, so it's very inspiring, you know, and it brightens the mind and keeps me uh, in tune with the Dharma. Uh, the practice that we do, of course, comes from the, the Theravada Buddhist tradition. So we chant in the Theravada style, uh, which is a very... Uh, I always figured chanting in the Theravada style is okay for me because you don't need to be a good singer, you know. Uh, there's actually... There's actually uh, uh, it's actually detrimental to be a good singer because when you chant, you don't want to call attention to yourself. Sometimes we have people who are really good singers who like to really knock out a tune when they're doing the chant. Uh, but really, uh, it's a chant that we're meant to do. If you, if you go to a monastery, they chant in unison and it's very low and everybody chants uh, you know, very much in synchronicity uh, with each other. So there's a real vibration and a sense of connection so uh, this Theravada tradition uh, that we practice in uh, includes uh, the Thai tradition, the Thai forest tradition, which was a, a tradition of Buddhism, a lineage of Buddhism uh, that, uh, that really flourished in the 20th century, uh, where uh, the, some of the Thai monks who uh, you know, had kind of been living in the cities and had been reduced to doing uh, uh, more administrative tasks decided that, you know, they really wanted to practice in the style the Buddha taught, uh, which is really to practice meditation uh, and, and, and to really work with training the mind uh, and to get to dedicate themselves to uh, the practice of meditation. Uh, the style that I teach in comes largely, you know, and, and again, you know, we, we, we adapt to where we are and, and, and where we are in the world and where we are in the time that we're in and in our lives, but it comes largely from the teachings of uh, Ajahn Lee, who was the great Thai Buddhist, one of the great Thai Buddhist masters in the 20th century, really renowned for teaching concentration practice. Uh, uh, one of the so, so it's really kind of a, you know, and, and the, so the, the style that, you know, that we went through in this meditation uh, today uh, of working with the full body in particular, 
uh, you know, I, I, I that was something that he uh, that he was just such a master of in the different ways. You know, each Sunday, some we try different things. Oftentimes, to open up our awareness to the body, to have a full body awareness, to cultivate these qualities of ease and pleasure in the body. Uh, Ajahn Lee and the other Thai masters like to talk about having a good home for the mind, a good home for the mind, that we, we make a home for the mind uh, in the breath and in the body. I always loved that, you know, you know sort of the, the romance of the, uh, the uh, you know, of, of the tradition, you know, that, 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 that concept of a home for the mind always sounded very inspiring to me. But like a lot of concepts that sounded very inspiring to me and, and elicited a thrill within me when I heard of them, I didn't really understand what it was. I didn't really quite understand what it meant to have uh, a home for the mind. Uh, it just seemed very abstract to me. You know, I remember like, what does this mean? I can't quite grasp what it meant. What it, and, and, and what eventually what I realized was that uh, I didn't understand what it meant to have a good home for the mind or a home for the mind because I didn't have one, you know? I didn't have a strong home for the mind. Uh, uh, you know, it's sort of like, you know, uh, you know if, if, you, if there was a person who was homeless and maybe had always been homeless, or somebody who never had really a home life wouldn't understand what it wouldn't be able to understand what it meant to have a to have a home. Uh, so, and, and I didn't understand that in terms of uh, the breath and the body. You know, my mind did not stay at home. You know, my mind did not stay at home. My mind did not have a reliable home where it was able to stay. Uh, you know, my mind flowed out out, out. And this is how the Buddha described how most people's minds are, that they don't stay in. You know, when you stay in, you stay with the breath, you stay with the body, you have a home for the mind, you're in the present moment. Most people's minds are flowing out, 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 uh, out of the body, into thought worlds, into, uh, into, in, into uh, you know, these structures of becoming, you know, unreality into thought worlds. The term uh, in Buddhism uh, that the Buddha used was effluence, things are flowing out, or fermentations, the Pali word is asava. Uh, so, you know, we're anywhere but home, you know, we're out, 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 the mind's out, out, out. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, this was, I didn't really understand the concept of what it meant to have a home for the mind, a mind uh, that would stay at home because my mind had never stayed at home. How would I know what that was like? So just hearing that concept didn't quite, uh, didn't quite register for me. So when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the Ajans talk about having a, high, a home for the mind, uh, you know, gradually over time I came to learn what it meant to have a home for the mind as I learned to build one. You know, once I learned to build a home for the mind, then, oh, this is what it means to have a home for the mind. When we talk about a home for the mind, it's a place to put the mind, a place to keep the mind, uh, a place for the mind to abide, a place where the mind is able to stay. It's a place where the mind will, is able to stay. It's a place where the mind wants to stay. It's a place where the mind wants to stay. 
I think that's a good, a good, uh, a good way to think about a home, a good home. You know, we make a good home for the mind. A good home is a place where you want to stay. Uh, you know, at the risk of being judgmental. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't want to stay in, in, in my in my parents' house. It wasn't you know a place where I felt safe or protected. Uh, so I spent a lot of time out of the house. I didn't want to be at home. Uh, 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 a good home for the mind is a place where where the mind stays. So I didn't stay at home a lot when I was a kid. I mean, I was out all day, you know. Uh, a good home for the mind is a place where the mind is able to stay, where it stays, and where it wants to stay. So, so you know, this is kind of a... It's a good way to think about what we mean by having a home for the mind is sort of if you compare it with, you know, being in the effluence, in the fermentations, the mind flowing out, flowing out, uh, instead of that, we make a home for the mind in the body. We build a home for the mind in the body uh, uh, using the breath. So it's a home for the mind in the body that we establish by, uh, by learning to keep the mind on the breath. So, uh, so, you know, that's a, so our task is, is to build a home for the mind. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like you have the potential to do that. You've got all the lumber you know, and all the tools and, you know, all the nails and all the stuff that you need, the blueprints are there. You've got the blueprint. I've got the blueprint for you. It's not my blueprint. I got it from, I got it from the Buddha. He let me borrow it. Uh, you know, you've got that, but, you, you know, the thing of it is, it's like you've got to build it. You've got to build it. You know, and, and it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's mostly hard work, you know. It's not like you need to be, uh, uh, you know, have some special talent, but it, you know, it's that quality of persistence of, you know, having the blueprint, you've got the raw material, you've got the raw material, it's all right there, uh, but it's a matter of, you know, following the blueprint. You know, following the blueprint is really important. You know, I've, I've talked about that so much, the Buddha talked about that. You know, and people complain, you know, I'm not, Concentration isn't developing. Discernment isn't developing. The Buddha would say, well, you're not following, you're not doing what I told you to do. He said, it's like somebody, you know, squeezing a cow's horns and expecting milk. You know, so we have the blueprint. It's a matter of putting in the work, putting in the effort. Uh, and that effort goes into mindfulness of breathing. You know, you know, that goes into mindfulness of breathing. That's the hard work of of, of of the Dharma, you know. I mean, I, I love the way that Ajahn Lee would talk about that. He would say, you know, if we think of the three pillars of, uh, of, of, of the Dharma, you know, virtue, concentration, and discernment. You know, you can think of virtue including generosity and the other skillful qualities. And if you think of them as... Uh, pillars that you use to build a bridge over a river, classic Buddhist metaphor, the river of suffering, you know, the pillar of uh, the stanchion, if you will, that holds up the bridge uh, of virtue you build on one side of the river, the stanchion, the pillar of uh, discernment you build on the other side of the river, concentration you build in the middle of the river, you know. And that's where, you know, and that holds up the bridge, really. And that's the hard work. It's the hard, hard work of, you know, building that stanchion in the middle of the river, in the mud, in the water, 
etc. So, uh, you know, the, the work of, con- of, medita- of the Dharma really goes into uh, concentration practice, really it goes into mindfulness of breathing. In practicing of mindfulness of breathing, we're learning to develop concentration, uh, but it's strong concentration. You need strong concentration to hold up that bridge. We need strong concentration if the mind is going to stay in the body. You need a strong home for the mind. If the, mo- if the mind is, if the home for the mind isn't strong, you know, the winds of of of, of difficulty and challenge, of aversion and desire, the storms of life are going to come, and just going to knock down the walls. You know, so we need strong concentration to be able to keep the attention uh, on the breath and in the body, and that concentration is known as jhana. You know, is known as jhana. Jhana includes the ability to put the attention on the object, includes physical ease, an ease that we feel in the body, it includes pleasure, and it includes equanimity, which is the capacity to stay there no matter what, no matter what. So one way to think about mindfulness of breathing that I think is really useful, or one way to really think about concentration practice in terms of the way the Buddha taught it, which was very, very different. Very, I mean, this is, this is you, know, uh, you know, this is so uh, particular to the way the Buddha teaches concentration. When, and one way to think about what that is, is to think about two things that we're doing. The first thing that we do in developing concentration, practicing mindfulness of breathing, is to put the mind on the breath and then the body, right? So we put the mind on the object, we use what's called directed thought, focus on the breath, stay with the breath, stay with the body, stay with the body, Uh, but that's not all that we do. Most concentration practices, that's what they do. They're really practices of forcing the attention onto an object, right? You're forcing the attention onto the breath, you're forcing the attention onto whatever it is you're forcing the attention onto. The Buddha realized that that was a start, but it wasn't going to be enough if we were going to develop strong concentration. That what we had to do, if we're going to be able to keep the mind there, is we have to cultivate an experience of the breath that's pleasant. We cultivate an experience of the breath is pleasant, so the mind will want to stay there. So the mind will want to stay there. We can't force the mind. It's just like you know, a kid. You, know, you can try to force a kid to do something, but if, if it's not pleasant and it's not enjoyable, the kid isn't going to want to do it. You know? It's like, I don't want to stay here in this house if it's not going to be pleasant. I want to go somewhere else. If the experience is pleasant, if it's enjoyable, yeah, I want to stay here. This is great. This is fantastic. You know? uh, in order to keep the mind in the present moment, on the breath and in the body, uh, to the extent that we want to keep it there, uh, we need to cultivate an experience of the breath that's pleasant. We need to cultivate uh, an abiding where the mind will want to stay, will want to stay. I mean, the difference there is so, is so profound, right? It's so profound. Uh, it's not like you're forcing. Concentration practice in, 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 within the Buddhist teachings is you're not forcing the attention onto the object. You know, there's an initial forcing there, but just to kind of get it there, to stay, and so we, and you get it there, and it's like, this feels good, doesn't it? 
you know, we're going to make this feel really good. So the mind, little by slowly, wants to stay there. If the breath isn't pleasant, if the experience of the body isn't pleasant, the mind will not want to stay there. It will not want to stay there. Just like that kid is not going to want to stay, you know, at home if the experience isn't pleasant. Uh, you know, the nature, and, and you know, and this speaks to the nature of the mind. You know, the human mind inclines to pleasurable experience. This is the nature of the mind. The Buddha understood this. He understood this. He wanted to develop strong concentration, and he wasn't able to because he didn't have a pleasant abiding. And he realized that. And his mind kept going out and thinking about all these pleasant things that, you know, when he was a, a prince and all the things in the market that he could get if he decided to uh, renounce being uh, a monk, uh, he wasn't able to stay present with the breath. Now, I always say, like, if the Buddha couldn't stay present with the breath and, and, and keep his mind on the breath, how the heck am I going to be able to do that, you know? You know, what he realized, and you know, this is real, I always say this is when Buddhism became Buddhism. This is the moment when Buddhism became Buddhism, when the Buddha realized that if he was going to be able to stay in the present moment, his experience of the present moment had to be pleasurable. Had to be pleasurable. Uh, that the mind will only stay in the present moment to a certain extent by forcing it to stay there. So in the practice, we make a place, we make a home, uh, with the breath in the body, where the mind will want to stay, a place that's easeful, a place that's pleasurable. So, strong concentration, this is what the Buddha found, can't be developed by force. It can't be developed by force. This is why the Buddha's concentration includes ease and includes pleasure. So, we develop strong concentration by using directed thought, putting the mind on the breath, and then cultivating an experience of the breath that's easeful and pleasurable, putting the mind on the body, cultivating an experience of the body that's easeful and pleasurable. This is what we did in the sitting with the scan. And then the mind begins to want to stay there, and the mind stays there more. And you know, once the breath starts to become more pleasurable, the mind will stay with the breath more. So, you know, I just see this in my own practice. You know, it was always a struggle to keep the mind on the breath. And once the breath started to get more pleasurable, the mind started to stay there more, started to stay there more. And maybe just a little bit more at the beginning, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more. And over time, it stays there more. It stays there more. It stays there more. It's like doing repetitions, right? You know, the more the mind stays with the breath, the more it will stay there. You know, you're building mental strength. That's equanimity. It's like repetitions. The more repetitions you do, the more you keep the mind on the breath, the more you're developing that quality of inner strength, and really, which is equanimity. Uh, so, and, and that's how it develops. You know, it develops, I keep my mind on the breath, I keep it there, I keep it there, I keep it there. The more you keep it there, the more it stays there. So, you know, mixing metaphors a little bit, but you know, the metaphor the Buddha uses is like, is like, you know, building a, you know, a pillar that's deep into the ground, you know, deep into the ground, uh, you know, 
feet and feet and feet into the ground. You think the pillars that they, they when they drive steel, when they build a skyscraper, you know, in New York City, you know, they build those pillars into the rocks, those steel into the rocks. You know, that's what we're doing through repetition and meditation. But the only way that that repetition happens is if it feels good. Like, I don't mind doing these repetitions because it feels good. I'm going to stay here. And the more I stay here, 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 the more the mind stays there. So, uh, you know, so we have, the, when we have this pleasant abiding, you know, the mind will stay with the breath. And we have freedom from the effluence. You know, the effluence are very, it's very painful when we're caught in those thoughts. And it feels good. We, we, we exist, you know, we have a pleasant abiding. We have an, a pleasant abiding. You know, it was, it's interesting, uh, you know, the Buddha's instructions to arhats, you know, arhats are fully awakened. You know, they don't have to worry about the effluence. They've, they no longer engage in the effluence. They're always present, you know, because they're no longer suffering. They're no longer engaging in, uh, in clinging to aversion in its various forms and desire in its various forms, you know. Uh, and, you know, the Buddhist instruction to them is, well, still, you should still cultivate jhana, still cultivate pleasure, continue to exist in a pleasant abiding. Why not? It feels good. You know, so he encouraged them to exist in a pleasant abiding. It's a state in which they'll, uh, you know, they'll be at their optimal uh, we're, that we're at our optimal, that we, we function the most effectively when the body is suffused with ease. Uh, so, you know, we develop this good home for the mind, we build this good home for the mind, and of course the mark of it is that we're able to, to access this good home for the mind, to keep the mind there. We're able to keep the mind there in all circumstances, in all postures, not just in the meditation. You know, this is the mark of concentration. This is what we're striving to be able to do is to, through this practice, through this practice, to be able to have this good home for the mind, to be able to keep the mind there in all postures, not just in the meditation. You know, not just in the meditation. You know, the, our, our goal is to be able to keep the mind there, whatever we're doing, whatever in, we're involved with in our lives at all times. Yeah. Uh, in all circumstances, you know, when there are, you know, when we are subject to the storms of life, you know, we are subject to the storms of life. We're able to to keep the mind there, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I had a, a really, I mean, I've talked about this before, but sort of uh, a real. Uh, uh, view into this when my mom died a few years ago uh, and you know of course that's a big storm right you know that's a big storm when a parent dies and you go through that kind of a thing uh, and you know there were a lot of emotions you know and, and, and joy and painful emotions and all these different kinds of things uh, but I was able to keep the mind you know certainly when I when I when I chose to I was able to keep the mind on the breath and in the body, safe and protected inside this home. And it was, it was easeful and pleasurable. And it was just, it was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is amazing. You know, this storm is going on, but I can keep this mind, my mind here, you know. And then it was particularly noteworthy to me because I contrasted it to when my father had died, which was, you know, 20 years before that. And I had been meditating for a number of years then, but I just didn't have 
I didn't know, I didn't have a home for the mind, even though I had been meditating. I mean, I had a little lean-to, you know? You ever build a lean-to in the woods, you know, when you were a kid growing up in the suburbs, you know? Uh, I mean, I had a little lean-to when my dad died. I had been meditating, you know, maybe five, six years or whatever at the time. Uh, but I couldn't keep the mind there, you know? And I went through tremendous suffering in the time after he died. And I made a couple of decisions, life decisions that I, you know, that were not good decisions, uh, etc. And, you know, to compare that to, you know, you know, obviously 15 years later or so, uh, 15 years later, 20 years later, when my dad, when my mom died, you know, it was just like, wow, you can really keep the mind there. You know, you can really keep the mind there. Uh, you know, there was this, there was this safe place, a good home for the mind. So, so, you know, of course for us, this is so important. You know, we've all, uh, experienced many storms in our lives. We've experienced uh, many storms over the last weeks and months uh, going through what we've all been going through, but we'll continue to experience them in life. You know, and you know, we're all going to experience the storms of sickness, aging, death, and separation. You know, you know, and you know, and I, I, this is another thing I've talked about many times over the years. Uh, you know, the difference, you know, working with people who are dying and people who have a good practice, you know, and who have some kind of an inner abiding that they can rely on, you know, are able to meet, you know, uh, you know, you know the, the, the experience of, of illness and aging and dying in a way that's so different than, you know, other people who've, you know, sometimes come to me and, you know, like, I'm dying, I'm ill, can you teach me to meditate? You know, it's like, I can, but, you know, you're, you would have been, I don't say this to them, but I can see how they would have been a lot better off if they had been meditating for the last 20 years and had built that, because it takes time to build that. It takes effort, right? Most of you have been working really hard at it for a long time, you know? Uh, you know, and if we keep doing that, if we keep making that effort, you know, we meet, can meet these experiences of life, sickness, aging, death, we're all gonna meet them, you know? We're gonna have all these challenges in life, you know? Uh, when we have a good home for the mind, you know, we're, 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 we're safe. We have a place that's safe, that's protected. We can be at ease. We can remain present. We can remain present. I mean, it's hard to remain present when things are going good, you know, or when things are neutral. So, you know, we always really need this strong home for the mind, this inner abiding that's pleasant, a place where we're, so we're able to remain present. We're able to remain present. We're able, if we're able to remain, remain present and in the body, then we're able to remain close to the heart. You know, if we're able to remain close to the heart, you know, then we're able to act from the heart and know the happiness of the heart. 